0: Welcome to How Story Works from Chipperish Media. I'm concept developer, Dr. Kelly Jones.
1: And I'm story expert, Lonnie Diane rich We are breaking up How Story Works into four seasons following four topics, character, conflict, structure, and magic. This is season two, Conflict. Today on How Story Works, the conversation is about Conflict 101,
0: what it is, what it is not, and why it matters so much.
1: (laughs) All right, story is power, and we do not leave power on the table. So let's go to work. All right, everybody, welcome to Season 2 of How Story Works Conversations. took us a little while. Uh, We finished up How Story Works, uh, the first season with uh, character. And then uh, the world shut down. The pandemic hit. Everything was insane. So we've been recovering from that and getting back on our feet. We're returning now with Season 2 of How Story Works to talk about conflict. Um, And I think this is going to be really... It's such a fun and essential part of the story building process, but conflict actually does uh, kind of throw some people off. It can be really, really difficult, I think, to build. Once you understand it, I think it becomes a lot more fun. But at first, it can make people really uncomfortable because there are a lot of people who are kind of conflict avoidant. I am one of right, those Kelly? people. Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> I am.
0: It's, it's really funny. This is where I struggle when I'm writing fiction. Uh, this is where I get yeah. stuck. Yeah. And working on the notes for this episode with you kind of cracked some things open for me cognitively. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that discussion. But I am a, a very conflict adverse person
1: in yes. life. Mm-hmm. And I
0: did not realize how much that was impacting my creative writing until yeah. we started looking at this. Oh, it this. does.
1: Yeah. It really, really does. It's something you have to actively work to get over. So it's going to be a really, really fun season of How Story Works, kind of talking about that and getting through those those challenging places with it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it is really important, you know, I mean, especially mm-hmm. sort of working through your notes and then analyzing some stories um, to kind of understand, like, you you have this really great take on it. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I think is really helpful.
1: Yeah, well, conflict is basically the heart of narrative, and it is what fuels the story. Without it, it's just stuff happening. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so um, so real quick to kind of mm-hmm. go back to, to some of the things we talked about from season one. And, of course, we won't review the whole thing because you can download mm-hmm. that and listen to it. Uh, exactly. But But two of the, the main terms, right, to define that that really do play a role when we're talking about conflict is protagonist and antagonist. So, right. can you just mm-hmm. give us like the 30 second quick summary just so we can keep those terms top of mind before we dive into this new material?
1: Yes, especially because conflict is basically all about your protagonist and your antagonist. And your protagonist is, of course, your main character. This is the, uh, the person that the struggle is for, right? That is where the, the Greek source of the, the word is, is the one in the struggle, right? Um, and uh, so your protagonist is the one with a goal that they are pr- in pursuit of that is being blocked by an antagonist. Um, and then the antagonist is basically just the person blocking that goal. So once you understand that, which we've talked about a little bit with a discussion of our character, we talked a lot about protagonists and antagonists. So you can go back, anybody who wants to like get refreshed on that, you can go back and, and learn more about protagonists. Like what are the three things that define the protagonist, all of that kind of stuff. Um, you can get that um, in the the character stuff. But to understand that the protagonist is the one with a goal and the antagonist is the one blocking the goal. And that is how that feeds into our discussion of conflict.
0: Perfect. Okay. So while we're defining terms we get to start my favorite section of the new episode so we're talking about conflict Lonnie Dan rich define your goddamn terms
1: <laughs> what is conflict well conflict is basically the struggle between two opposing forces that is essentially the definition of conflict just like straight out of the dictionary um, but when we talk about conflict and that's absolutely what it is within within fiction but when we talk about conflict within fiction we really are talking about this fuel that keeps your story moving it, it kind of builds the stage upon which your characters can dance and the way you build your characters depends Depends upon your understanding of the roles that they play in that conflict. Um, and then again, as we get to season three of How Story Works, which will be coming out down the road uh, when we talk about structure, uh, the narrative structure is actually built on the escalation of this central narrative conflict that we're going to be talking about uh, throughout the the course of this season. Um, so now you guys, we've already talked about what is a story, which is an event or series of events. And you know what narrative is, which is a recounted event or series of events structured to evoke a particular meaning. And you know that we derive the meaning of a story from what has changed because of the events of that story. So where does the change come from? How do we create the change? And simply put, change comes from conflict. Mm -hmm. Stories about people. And as... We all know people don't change unless they absolutely have to, unless there is no other way. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, to uh, we talk about Newton's law, or I talk. What's really funny is I, I use a lot of scientific analogies um, mm-hmm. when I talk about storytelling, and it's it's funny because I know nothing of science. Did very poorly in it in high school, um, and uh, and yeah, like I, I my understanding is very like surface level, uh, but my. Understanding understanding of Newton's law, right, is that an object in motion will remain in motion until something acts upon it, right? You know, um, it be that a force of gravity or whatever, there are science things they're talking about, but I'm just <laughs> going to steal that basic idea um, and apply it to narrative and that a character or situation is going to remain the same unless a force, conflict, acts on them, giving them absolutely no choice but to change. So the the Conflict serves the purpose of giving us um, building the structure. We build our narrative structure on top of it, but it also gives us the, the motivation for our character to actually change. And it is through that change that we get meaning and we are meaning seeking creatures, which is why we go to story. So all of this stuff is, is bound in together. Um, so you figure out a story's meaning again by seeing what has changed. Nothing's going to change unless you have conflict. So this is why you need that narrative conflict. Does yeah. that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes total sense okay. to me. Um, and it, it's, it's just really funny, like we said in the beginning, uh, yeah. how much this has blocked me in my writing mm-hmm. and how little I understood that it was blocking me. Yeah, Because conflict is where I get stuck. Um, I don't like it. I don't like the word. <laughs> so I <laughs> I went to the thesaurus to look mm-hmm. for synonyms. And so conflict, you know, evokes battle. Clash, uh-huh. combat, strife, struggle, war, animosity, competition, <laughs> dispute, and hostility. And I'm like, no, thank you, dislike, unsubscribe. <laughs> like, no, I don't. No, like, there's enough shit. Like, there's enough of that in the world without me mm-hmm. also putting it in my story. And and I don't like it. Yeah. Um, but but as I dug deeper into the you know into these different definitions of conflict and synonyms mm-hmm. of conflict, I found struggle and difference. And then dance. I
1: love that you found dance as a synonym
0: for conflict. For conflict, Mm -hmm. and I had that never would have dawned on me. Um, But it kind of opened up a new way of thinking about it because Mm -hmm. now, thinking about characters as dancing their way to meaningful change Mm -hmm. in response to pressures, struggles, and goals—like it just—it feels like a completely different way of approaching. The work? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me of when I was doing my PhD, um, I had to take several classes in learning theory. Mm -hmm. And one of those (laughs) classes, I mean, reading just like it's insane, the number Mm -hmm. of theories and the number of books that we had to read. And so one of our kind of um, summary assignments or like get out of this course kind of assignments was Mm -hmm. we had to define the word learning in one word. But we had wow. to write like 20 pages to support our choice. <laughs> so it was a full-blown research paper. Wow. You know,
1: oh, my at, God. 20 pages Yes, to support a – this is why I have not done a PhD. Yeah. That is the kind of thing that would make me crazy.
0: Yeah. Well, you had to build the full scholarly <laughs> research-based argument for your choice.
1: Right? I love it. But it was yeah. it was
0: to force you – to both expand your understanding Mm -hmm. of the concept and narrow it down so because once you understand what that means for you it's easier to identify like your personal teaching philosophy your personal theoretical frameworks that you operate under those i mean it ended up being a great assignment Mm -hmm. but for the first few weeks i just wanted to bang my head against a wall um (laughs) and for me my my ultimate answer was that learning equals change
1: Right. And so, oh, and,
0: right. So you're either looking at like you can have a physical change in a cognitive path. Mm-hmm. You can have a change in behavior. You can have a change in understanding. You can have a change in capacity. You can have a change mm-hmm. in skill set. But like that's how you know that learning has happened at the level right. where I in, I interpret it. Right. Like uh-huh. this is obviously open for debate. Um, and, and it just it struck me the parallel You know, the the meaning of a story you get from from the change, right, which Mm -hmm. is driven by conflict. And in learning, for me, the ultimate result of that is is change, which comes from kind of a cognitive struggle. Mm -hmm. You know, like anything you learn deeply is not necessarily going to be easy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, (laughs) reframing my perspective on this has been really, really helpful. Um, and oh my then God, I got I love it. I got so tickled because uh, last night, like I had written these notes and I had you know kind of thought about all of this. Um, mm-hmm. and then I watched Saving Mr. Banks, uh, the yes. movie mm-hmm. about Walt Disney wanting to acquire the right. rights to Mary Poppins. Right? Mm-hmm. This was not a story I was familiar with. Um, there's you know, there's a huge Balance of power, privilege, capitalism mm-hmm. thing going on in that movie, but but underneath that, I I really there was a lot of stuff in there that I enjoyed watching, mm-hmm. and there was a great conflict. Disney wants to buy the rights. P.L. Travers doesn't want to sell the rights. You know, right. so you're kind of watching them. Dig there you this go. Out.
1: Classic conflict, right? There. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. But I identified with Emma Thompson's portrayal of mm-hmm. P.L. Travers. In a way that I never would have expected to. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because the personality portrayed could not be more different than mine. I mean, oh, my God. Like, yeah. wow. Wow. <laughs> um, but how, there was, is it,
1: how is it different? Um, she
0: is very unfriendly and closed uh-huh. off and presented uh-huh. as very rigid and very, right. you know, like, like, mm-hmm wow um mm-hmm. and i'm not but there was this moment so she's working with um the script writers and the screen you know mm-hmm. the the lyric writers and all the writers yeah. at Disney. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. and there's this moment where they have a scene where they're portraying mr banks the character in mary poppins who mm-hmm. turns out was kind of like uh based on p.l travers some of her feelings about her father which were very okay. complicated mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And they had the writers had uh, Mr. Banks, the character, take something from the children and crumple it up. Mm -hmm. And P.L. Travers just kind of like fell apart. And she's like, why? Why would you make him so cruel? Why would you do this? And she had this quote and she said, if you can bring characters to life, Mm -hmm. why can't they have a good life?
1: Oh, and
0: it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly what I do when I try to write fiction. (laughs) So it was just, you know, I feel ridiculously silly saying all of this on a podcast, but it has really
1: been eye opening for me. Oh, my God. That is so funny that you would happen while you were kind of contemplating this exact thing that you would happen across that illustration of it. Right. Right, Which yeah. is, I mean,
0: one of the super cool things about stories because, yeah, and maybe I wouldn't have picked up on that had I watched mm-hmm. it and not done these notes. But right. it's just, mm-hmm. you know, seeing some of your own internal struggles represented in a story, even if it's completely, you know, right. different and unrelatable or whatever. It just really reminded me of like, yeah, mm-hmm. the power of narrative and that transport and that emotional oh experience. God. Like it was just really cool
1: to go through that in this time. I love that whole thing. And there's a couple of things. As you're talking, I'm sitting here making notes on my... uh... Uh, my thing here. Um, first of all, I absolutely love, and this is a, a wonderful illustration of character. And of course, characters are based on humans, right? And one of the yeah. most wonderful things that we, in the people that we love or the people that we find interesting is that there are certain things that they go to. There are certain ways that they do things, right? I love the fact that you struggle with something. The first place you go is a thesaurus. The first place you go <laughs> is research, right? Yep. And that right there for everybody is a great element of, that's kind of like a an element of character that when you get to know your characters so well that you know where they're going to go when they're challenged what is the first thing they're going to turn to when they're challenged um you as a human anybody asked me that question i'm like bitch is going to research like that's the way this is going to go right <laughs> that's right. Um, I'm sorry as as a reference to Big Strong, yes, the other podcast that Kelly and I did, that's Doctor Bitch to me, that's right? Okay, Dr. yes, bitch exactly. That's right. Doctor <laughs> Bitch to you, right? Um, that you're gonna go and research, you know, and that is, um, and that is such a wonderful, like, a, a part of your personality, part of the way that you think, that is so consistent across all of the work that I've done with you. You always go to the research, which I think is just wonderful. I absolutely love that. Um, so that's just right there, everybody. A wonderful example of of a character being consistent, being who they are. Always remember what your character is going to go to first, especially when you introduce conflict, because when you challenge them, they are going to go to where they're comfortable. And if where they're comfortable can't give them the answers, that is going to send them on a spiral, which is going to be so much fun in fiction. And that is the other thing. Um, understanding how to torment your characters, right mm-hmm. um, is is one of the most like essential things in writing. If you really want to make a story work, you know and 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 actually like lift its weight, you have to put your characters in conflict, you have to put them in struggle. Um, you have to torment them. It is the best thing that you can do as a writer. Um, but it is really, really difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is why a lot of writers have trouble with conflict. This is why a lot of writers have trouble kind of getting things off off the ground because they want everything to be easy. They live in a world that is essentially indifferent, if not cruel, right? Yeah. Um, and so you, when you create a world, you know, if you can bring characters to life, why can't they have a good life? Like right? that is, I think, the question that a lot of people come to. They go into fiction. They want to write these stories because they want to make the world right. 지금까지 <목소리도> But you cannot make the world right without facing what's wrong. And that is where the conflict comes in. You can go through all of that and create a happy ending. Absolutely. But you need to make sure that your characters earn it and they have to earn it by being challenged. Right. Um, So this is one of the biggest like rookie mistakes that I see, like when I get uh, young writers, new writers coming to me with their work. And then I'm like, well, where is, you know, we have this person who's going through their day and everything is wonderful and that's great, but I don't care. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not interested in that character because they are not being challenged. I'm really happy for them that everything's great, you know, um, but it's not doing anything for me. It's not showing me how people overcome challenges. And that is really a huge part of what fiction does. Fiction does a million things, right? You know, it entertains us. It gets us through the day. It, um, it uh, is a place we can go to um, to address and work out our traumas. One of the things that fiction has the ability to do that life does not is focus, right? Mm. Fiction can be about something. Life is 8 million things coming at you at once and trying to understand what uh, like, part of your experience, what things that you haven't resolved are at work in any given moment. There's like 50 of them. But in fiction, we can take that, we can isolate it down, we can focus on one thing. And that allows us through the experience of catharsis through the, the going through the experience with our characters that allows us to process some of our own damage some of our own trauma fiction has the ability to heal um, which is amazing but you have to put your characters through all that first in order for that to work um, so a lot of times sometimes we um, sometimes we write a character as wish fulfillment like this is the life we would like to have so we write this whole thing where everything's easy and everything's great and you know all, everything is perfect and we ha- end up with this Mary Sue character that nobody actually cares about. Um, sometimes it's because we just don't naturally think in terms of wanting the worst to happen, right? We yeah. think in terms of preventing the worst from happening. This was the challenge that I met when I first started writing, was that I am always thinking in terms of like, how do I stop bad things from happening? So my character, like, it, I wouldn't be thinking about wanting the worst thing to happen to them. I would be thinking about wanting the worst thing to not happen. I don't care about making everything great for them. I just don't want the worst thing to happen. But the whole point of fiction is make the worst thing happen. What is your character's, like if you can start a novel knowing what is your character going to turn to when they're challenged, what is it that they want um, and what is it that scares them the most? What is their biggest fear? If you can do that and put all of that into a story in the first 10 pages, boom, you are off to the races. Yeah, I, That is I, how you get things started. I
0: really like your perspective of where will they turn when they're challenged. I don't know that Mm -hmm. I had thought about that, like in those exact words when trying to build a character. um, I really, really like it. That's really helpful. And if you take that away from them, You know,
1: if you take that away from them and then they can't go to that thing, then you're instantly putting them on, you're putting them on the back foot. You're, you're getting them off balance. And that's what we want to see. We want to see a character who is off balance, find a way through, which Mm -hmm. is something, because we feel off balance 45 times a day, right? There are things that throw you off throughout all every day. And we want to see a character that is thrown off. That we can identify with that feeling of not being in our element, who is able to find a way through. That's part of what fiction does for us is it shows us how we can do things. Now, a lot of times it's not terribly realistic in how we do these things you know i mean we can't all be sherlock holmes and know the answers to all the mysteries by looking at a you know stray dog hair on the carpet or whatever um but it does give us a sense of like being able to think in different ways and all of that kind of stuff and it it illustrates that for us that experience and if nothing else it gives us hope that when we are on the back foot we can find a way through and find a way to our own success so um all of that uh All of this that fiction does, which is so many different things, you know, um, we need that conflict in order to fuel it, in order to get us through and in order to maintain the interest of our readers, because the readers always want like the answer to one basic question, which is how the hell are they going to get out of this one? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, How is that? How are they going to do this? How are they going to move through this? Um, That's what we want to see. And that's what fiction does. So the conflict like feeds all of these needs that fiction has and then gives us as readers um, the desire to get through that with this character.
0: I really, really really like what you just said. How are they going to get through this? How are they going to get out of this one? How are they going to overcome this? Because the answer to that question then speaks to the change that results from the conflict, which speaks to the meaning of the story. Right. Mhm. Right? Yes,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, I also wanted to touch on uh, your idea of conflict as dance, if we could just go back yeah. there real quick. Because uh, one of the things I love about that I took a social dance class when I was in college, you know, because this was one of the classes that everybody was like, Oh, you got to take this class, take this class. And you're basically just doing like ballroom dancing, like you come in Fun. one week, you're doing the tango, then you're doing the waltz. But one of the things that always like, you know, it, it this was, you know, like classic dancing, there's a man, there's a woman, the man leads, blah, 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 whatever gendered nonsense that is, but whatever, that's, that's the way that you're taught this thing but you know he would step forward with his right foot and I would step back with my left foot and you would learn that like he steps forward you step back you step forward he steps back that like you are kind of doing this you're sort of pushing against each other but Mm -hmm. working in tandem and that is a little bit of what happens between a protagonist and an antagonist that is locked in conflict right they are kind of performing a dance for us as the audience of that fiction Um, and And I so I found that and I like the way in which dance is so highly choreographed, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, we're the choreographers, right, putting that dance together and showing the ways in which they're pushing back and forth against each other. Um, And that's it's really kind of an interesting metaphor. Um, I like that you pulled that out. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I
0: like it a lot, too. And like thinking about what you're and and some of what you're about to talk about Mm -hmm. in terms of what you know you have so much in a in in real life that you would never mm-hmm. put in a story right right mm-hmm. the the pointless conversations the yes whatever the stuff that doesn't have meaning so yeah you saying think about this as choreographed i really like that as like yeah. a metaphor for for writing right because mm-hmm. you're not going to choreograph the the water break and the stretch yeah. beforehand and the right. <laughs> you know all yeah. of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so like i do i really i really really like kind of having a metaphorical space to think about mm-hmm. writing which sounds kind of silly but at the same time i'm like no it's i like not.
1: it i'm it's choreographing not. you know You're and choreographing absolutely
0: well and one of the things that i had struggled with um i studied a lot of new media and mm-hmm. studied a lot of how you know people learn in different mm-hmm you know, forms and different technologies. And um, we spend a lot of time actually trying to define or identify what is the act of putting words in a form. Mm -hmm. Is it writing when you're using a keyboard? Is it writing when you're recording your voice? You know, and so Mm -hmm. like I had to do one of those big definitions for that as well. Um, And the word that I came to that for that was composing. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so like that really kind of, composing a narrative, you know and thinking mm-hmm. about it like that. And I, it's it's just been really, really helpful. So like I think if, if anyone listening to this has been stuck, mm-hmm. you know not necessarily in the same ways that I've been stuck, but if you've just been stuck with the process of writing, yeah, I mm-hmm. think finding a metaphor or finding you know kind of yes. a, a metaphorical way to think about the act of writing and the, mm-hmm. the role you know of these narrative things is really helpful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And finding a way to define it that works for you. And what's interesting is when we get to structure, which will be next season, we're going to be talking about composition, because that's one of the things Uh that I use as a basic definition of a a completed narrative as a composition. So it's so interesting when you bring that in, how these things really do work together. Um, But yes, the thing is, is that like with writing and the thing that I think has been so difficult, um, was difficult for me when I was trying to learn story, is that I was an instinctive writer on a lot of levels. And I was very afraid that if I started to learn about how everything worked, it would shut me down as a writer. Mm. And I'm not gonna lie, (laughs) there were a few years, it's been a few years since I've written a novel. Mostly because not because it shut me down, but because I became so entranced with how everything works, that I've been studying that instead of doing like writing the fiction, I've been teaching it all of these years instead of writing the fiction, because I'm so entranced by it. And Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, mesmerized by it. But one of the things that I learned after that initial hit of fear, you know, that I was going to lose something if I started thinking about it too much, you know, yeah. um, is that is that you the way that you think about things. And this is true of everything in my experience Um you, if there are things that you are resisting an access point for you, if you change the way that you think about them by using a metaphor, by thinking about them in different terms, by using different language, you know, language that, that speaks to you and that you understand, um, that is a way into things that may have been resisting you or, you know, at some point. Yeah. Um, and because we tend to think about things in like there's one way and this is the only way and you just got to barrel through and access it this way. I don't think that's really true. I think that if you can if you can look at things from a different angle, I have found that there are things that I have I have that have resisted my understanding like that (laughs) I have not been able to understand until I was able to look at them from a different angle. And I think that the. I think that encouraging people to look at things from different angles is something that we lack kind of in our cultural, you know, our very, um, you know, almost draconian cultural approach to everything is this, you know, at least in American culture and Western culture, we have this very much like, oh, what, this isn't easy for you? Well, pull up your fucking bootstraps and get shit done. I think that there are ways that you can look at things, you can use the momentum of how your particular mind works uh, to find access points into things that have resisted you up until this point. So there's always a way to learn everything, I think. And this is what I love about working with you is that I don't really understand learning theory. You know, I haven't studied it. I don't don't know like how to teach. I just kind of like instinctively teach it. And I'm sure that I could do so much better at it, you know, which is one of the reasons why I love having you working with me on this on this podcast is because you you teach me how to teach. You're giving me an access point into um, into how to present information in a way that people can understand it, um, which is something that has resisted. I have not been like really privy to before. Um, so anyway, the point is, no matter what it is, is you're struggling with whether it's narrative theory or something else if you can work with the way that your brain works and find a way in there find an access point that is unique to you there is a keyhole that is unique to you through which you can see all of this stuff you just have to find it
0: yeah yeah absolutely and so i think like if if you feel that resistance Mm -hmm. don't assume that that means you can't do the thing yeah Mm -hmm. you know like I really and I know better. I teach this. Sh- I have a PhD <laughs> in this. Like I know better, and I I yeah. would have said, I can't write conflict. Mm-hmm. I can't write fiction because right. of this. Like I and I don't even know that I realized I have yeah. believed that for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um. So I think looking at at everything that you're presenting, you have such a gift for explaining things clearly and succinctly and and memorably because you <laughs> yeah. you make things like we call it making things sticky in, uh-huh. in learning theory oh, in your brain uh-huh. um and you do such a great job with that you know um but i think i had forgotten and and again i know better i had mm-hmm. forgotten that sometimes when you're trying to to learn these things or apply these things or examine and analyze your own creative work like there is an emotional component to that
1: yes oh absolutely you know for, for mm-hmm. you
0: and so mm-hmm. when you feel blocked when you feel anxious when you feel stuck yeah like actually you're allowed to say what's making me feel like this and yes you know you might end up coming to oh my god i hate conflict in real life i don't want it in my story <laughs> and like it exactly. it's really helpful
1: mm-hmm Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And you just illustrated that beautifully because you found your access point. You went to the thing that you do and you found your (laughs) access point. And I just, I absolutely, I love that. I know we've got to move on into different kinds of conflicts, but I just, I love the illustration that you just gave of finding a way to make things accessible to you through the things that do come easily to you. And I love that.
0: Well, thank you very much. So yeah, if I was a fictional character and you took away my I would be tormented and it would be terrible. And um, you'd find another way. <laughs> so let's define uh, yes. some of these, these sub definitions of conflict, right? We're going to talk about narrative conflict, mundane conflict and false conflict.
1: There you go. Yeah, we've got a bunch of different things that we got to talk about because the thing is that conflict, when we talk about just, you know, two forces in opposition to each other, that's a very, very simplistic um, definition of conflict. And there are many different ways in which you can have opposing forces within a story. Um, Mm -hmm. So you need to go a level deeper and think about the different ways in which these can present. Um, But much like there's, there's one kind of conflict that actually will fuel the narrative. And then there's other kinds of conflict that can be present, but don't necessarily fuel it, don't keep it going. So it's really important to know the difference between narrative conflict and other kinds of conflict. Um, And narrative conflict, very simply put, is just goal-based conflict between a protagonist and an antagonist in pursuit of mutually exclusive goals. That means if one person wins then the other person must of necessity lose. It is a Mm -hmm. zero-sum game. Um, So this is the only kind of conflict that is going to fuel a story and keep it moving. I'm telling you this right now. Narrative conflict, based conflict is the only conflict that is going to fuel your story. That is the only conflict that you can build a structure on. All the other kinds of conflict they are going to talk about today are conflict that you can use. You know, it's not a bad thing to necessarily have these in your story. You just can't base your structure on them. You can't base your story on them. Um, So we really want to focus on narrative conflict and understanding narrative conflict as a protagonist with a goal, antagonist with a goal, and that those goals are in mutual conflict. Um, I always I will do this thing that I do all the time. And on your bingo cards, in your drinking game, (laughs) Lana uses an acronym. Um, I always call it PGAG. Mm-hmm. Protagonist goal, antagonist goal—to help my students remember that that is the source of of true narrative conflict.
0: Yeah, yeah, which means you have to know what your protagonist wants and what your antagonist wants, right? Yes. Uh, so it, it's funny. Olivia Pope from Scandal is one mm-hmm. of my favorite TV characters. Yes, she's complicated. She's not likable not not necessarily you know like but she's a very complex mm-hmm. character yeah and i appreciate a lot of what she does but my favorite thing like the go to olivia pope line yes when she has a client or she's helping somebody it, it and she doesn't do this like a therapist like olivia pope right. is, is a badass you know um <laughs> and she doesn't have time for vague Goals. Yes, she wants to know like specifically, and she will get up in their face and say, "What do you want?" And like that is the ultimate Olivia Pope question. Yes. Uh Um, And so when I'm working on a story now, like I'm starting to imagine that conversation between my protagonist and my antagonist with Olivia Pope. Right.
1: That like getting.
0: Getting mm-hmm. to the heart of it in Olivia's terms, because I know, I know the specificity of what she's looking for. Yes. Um. And it's so that is, I mean, again, it's silly, but it helps mm-hmm. me, you know, yeah. to be like, okay, that's the intensity and clarity
1: mm-hmm. that I'm
0: looking for in terms yeah. of their goals. Instead of this, it, it's always felt a little ambiguous to me,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know? Um. So, yeah, that's, that's been, that's been kind of
1: fun. It is the hardest question to answer. It has always been the hardest question to answer for me when I'm writing fiction, because Mm -hmm. I start fiction from a place of blank page. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. I don't know what's happening. in my a pantser. So I go in, I start writing, and then I'm like, what do they want? Beats the hell out of me. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, until you know that, you cannot really structure it. Uh, the good news is, however, that uh, you can write a rough draft without yeah. knowing. Uh, mm-hmm. You can. Your rough draft is supposed to be a mess. So for pantsers like me, these are questions that you ask and answer during revision. Um, you may not know right away. And that means, and for pantsers, this is the thing is that we go in we create this whole thing we build everything up and then we got to go back and fix it and that's a lot of work for people who plot and plan beforehand and answer all these questions when they start they're going to have less work to do on revision but they have more work to do up front whereas pantsers can just you know get started right now Mm -hmm. Uh, so there's a benefit to each approach and of course everybody is somewhere on the spectrum between plotter and pantser so you may be in the middle. But no matter what, I have always found the what do you want question, what does your character want question to be the most difficult to answer Um, for me until I've actually like written out a lot of the story. Sometimes I'll get a sense of it. But there are also stories that are more and we will talk about this as we as we move forward in uh, in the season. But the internal uh, conflict versus external conflict, which are things that internal is where a character, uh, you know, wants two things in opposition. External is where you have a antagonist and a protagonist that are different people actually opposing each other. Uh, we'll talk about those in much more detail. We're going to talk about goals in much more detail. There's a lot of stuff to be covered when talking about conflict. Um, but for right now, yeah, that question, What do you want? Um, can be really difficult to answer. Um, and you do need to be able to answer it in the specific. And I kind of love that we have this sort of patron saint of what do you want? <laughs> that, uh, you know, that we can gather the patron saints of how story works and use mm-hmm. Olivia Pope as our, our conflict dom, right? You know, yes. what do you want? You know, that and is making sure that we know how to answer that question.
0: Perfect description of Olivia Pope, by the way. Uh huh. Conflict <laughs> dom. I love it so much. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Fantastic. Um. So that that goal-based, mutually exclusive conflict is, mm-hmm. is what we're looking for in narrative. Yes. But sometimes we get conflict in story that is not that. So what is right. mundane conflict? Talk about mundane conflict.
1: Right. Well, you need to be able to tell the difference, uh, first of all, between narrative conflict and, and all other kinds of conflict. So just being able to know that narrative conflict is goal-based certainly helps because mundane conflict is basically any conflict without a goal mm-hmm. without a clear and specific goal involved um, it commonly presents as like humorous bickering this is one of the things that we find in um, in romantic comedies a lot is yeah. this kind of like just generalized bickering between the uh, the two people that are going to fall in love and the thing is that you know we often see that bickering as a sign of like sexual tension or you know actual desire or whatever um, one of the things that um, that drives me crazy and a lot of uh, romance that I read. Remember, I'm a romance writer. I've written a number of romances is this. Uh, oh, he's so annoying. You know, uh-huh. kind of thing where they're like, he's just annoying. And it's just this vague kind of mundane conflict where they just like don't get along. And sometimes there's not even a reason for them to not get along. It's just really fun to write this kind of like Dave Addison, Maddie Hayes, Moonlighting Bickering for people who are not old enough, go watch Moonlighting. It is basically <laughs> mundane conflict, uh wrapped up um nicely for you. Um, but it's a lot of fun. The thing is is that that mundane conflict can be a a lot of fun. You get a lot of that really fun back and forth kind of dialogue, that snappy repartee. You've got people who really are doing a dance with each other. Um, So that kind of bickering is not something that you have to avoid. You just have to be aware that you're not using that as your only source of like romantic conflict. We'll definitely discuss that at some point, too. That's a whole other discussion, (laughs) right? Um, It gets a little flat after a while, but it can be fun in terms of developing your character's personalities and who they are having that mundane conflict within a scene at a scene level can actually be really a lot of fun. Um, it's just that uh, that sometimes writers... Um, uh, mistake that for narrative conflict and so they just write scenes over and over and over again in which you have these two people bickering and they're yeah. not really getting anywhere not to mention the fact that when you've got a romantic couple you want them working well together if they're constantly fighting and they don't work well together it doesn't make a good romance um, but another way that mundane conflict can actually present itself in a really lovely way is when you have two people who disagree philosophically just experience personality clashes that can lead maybe to some narrative conflict um, mm-hmm. if they set their themselves to mutually exclusive goals based on those disagreements, based on seeing the world in just fundamentally different ways. Um, but it is not narrative conflict in and of itself. It's just regular, everyday, mundane conflict that can inspire. The going and getting of the separate goals Um, One of the ways in which I um, I see this really nicely illustrated For anybody who has seen the uh, television Show Lost right Mm -hmm. Um, Which was you know plane crashes On this mysterious island and then People have to figure out how they're going to get off The island or in some cases How they're going to prevent everybody else from getting off The island (laughs) depending on who's doing what Um, But we have these two characters Uh, We have a doctor named Jack Shepard Who is a spinal surgeon and we have um, a, a, A person, John Locke, who is deeply philosophical with the name of John Locke. You're not at all surprised. There's a lot of philosophy uh, that runs throughout Lost. Uh, We have a lot of characters who are actually named after various philosophers uh, throughout time. Um, But we actually have, there's one episode that's man of science, man of faith, right? That Mm -hmm. John Locke is a man of faith and Jack Shepard is a man of science. And they see things differently. They have different philosophical approaches um, to how to lead all of the people on the island they work together for a little while but then eventually those different philosophical approaches solidify into these separate goals jack wants to get everybody off the island and rescue everyone and john Locke wants everybody to stay on the island because he believes that the island wants something from them that they are Mm -hmm. supposed to be there that this is fated um so, because of that, these philosophical differences, they evolved into opposing goals, which then fueled that narrative between them, that part of the narrative um, so that's kind of an interesting Um, illustration of the way in which philosophical differences between people who might otherwise be friends, between people who might otherwise really like each other, respect each other, get along and work well together. When a philosophical difference enters that phase and then evolves into goals that are in um, complete opposition, you can have people working against each other, but not necessarily because one of them is you know, bad and one of them is good, you know, it's because they just see things differently. So Mm. when I talk about mundane conflict versus narrative conflict, I'm not talking about one conflict is good and one conflict is bad. I'm talking about they have different jobs that they do. So when you utilize one for a particular purpose, say you want something that you can use as the basis upon which to build a structure, you are looking for narrative conflict. When you are talking about things that you want to talk about, um, philosophical ideas, um, when you have a romance that you want to add some spice, um, you know, you have some fun dialogue moments. You have some fun character building moments. um, Those are things that you can utilize. Mundane conflict, a different way of seeing the world. Um and bring that into these spaces with these characters that can make those scenes a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and hearing you say that um, really brought some clarity around that to me mm-hmm. because I love good banter and yes, you know debate and all those kind of things mm-hmm. and stories. But like what you were saying, the the philosophical difference between Jack and John Locke on Lost mm-hmm. is is fascinating. Yeah. But if it didn't lead, and it's great for showing who they are as people, right? It's great right. Mm-hmm. For, for character building because we know those things about them. Right. But if it didn't lead to a goal-based conflict, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jack wants to leave the island, John wants to stay on the island, then the all we would have in the story is the two of them sitting on the beach talking about their philosophical differences.
1: Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. which exactly.
0: might be interesting or like make a great, great TED talk, but it's not sure. a story.
1: You know, it's to not a, a certain degree. Right. right. Exactly. To, to like I'm watching point. the West Wing right now. The West yeah. Wing is absolutely a dance of ideas. Yes. Um, and oh. and I, uh, one of my favorite, favorite things about the West Wing is that they will uh, actually becomes a civics lesson. In a mm-hmm. lot of ways, you know, um, and you'll have these you'll have people who are taking different uh, positions on a political um, a political issue. Right. Uh, there was an episode I just watched uh, called Mr. Willis of Ohio. Right. Yes. Um, which is one of my favorite episodes. And um, in it, we have uh, Toby who is trying to get a bill passed um, and is arguing with some Congress people who are standing in his way. Um, and so he is making a philosophical argument. And they're arguing back and forth about this philosophical idea. But at the heart of that part of the story is Toby wants to pass this bill. And these Congress people want to block this bill. Right. Mm -hmm. So you've got a narrative conflict fueling it. But we've got the philosophical argument that is giving us our moment to moment. You know, what is this about? What does this mean? You know, Um, and so marrying your mundane conflict with your narrative conflict can be really, really fun. And I love banter. I love dialogue. Mm -hmm. I love the back and forth, that kind of stuff. It's great. You just don't want to get to the point where mundane conflict is the only thing going on in your story because it's not going to be enough.
0: No, but I really like the idea of using it as a character building tool that mm-hmm. can help reveal conflict to you if yes. you don't know what it is ahead of time. Absolutely. So like put your two characters in a bar and give them something to argue about and see what happens. Like, it may mm-hmm. be really insightful. <laughs> yeah. You know, just to, mm-hmm. to kind of see, okay, well, what of that could come to a goal? Like, what right. if that could come to to some kind of action? Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's really, really cool. So, what about false conflict? What is
1: that? Okay, now false conflict is actually narratively. Um, uh, okay, here's the thing I don't like to say that there's anything that's never useful. Right? Mm-hmm. I think that there are there are ways in which you can use basically every part of the animal in this narrative soup right you know <laughs> um, so there are different devices that are out there and available to us that we can use for different things I find I have I've a difficult time finding a space for false conflict mm-hmm. this conflict um, is the kind of conflict that fuels very small very minor um, moments in a story and in the end you can tell False conflict because if two people have a discussion, the conflict will go away. Mm -hmm. If you apply that rule to a false conflict, um, then that's how you, you identify it. Right. So like, um, somebody tells a lie, right. If p- two people have an honest conversation and the conflict goes away because the, the only source of the conflict is the fact that this lie exists. Um, that is a false conflict, right. Um, if somebody's, uh, withholding, if they're, they're keeping a secret again, if these two people have an honest and open conversation, does that conflict go away? Yeah. Because then it's no longer a secret, uh, misunderstandings, right. Uh, the classic misunderstanding is, um, you know, two people are dating um, and then one person sees the other person with their arm around somebody else and they're like, oh no, you know, he's with somebody else and then they find out later that it's his sister. So they get mad and they do all of these really terrible things. They set his apartment on fire and they kidnap his dog uh, because he's quote unquote cheating, but it was actually his sister or it was, you know, just a friendly relationship or whatever. It wasn't somebody that he was sleeping with, right? That is the classic illustration of the stupid misunderstanding source of conflict, which I hate. Now, there are ways, possibly in which a narrative can be about secrets, lies, misunderstandings, where we have these like, highly dramatized, very soap opera kind of of storylines going on. Um, And basically, those kinds of highly serialized, you know, um, uh, kind of um, ramen soup sort of um, narratives, you know, I say that with such a dismissal. I don't want to dismiss. Uh, like your comic book storylines, your your soap opera storylines, because there is a place for that kind of story. Clearly Mm -hmm. there is something that we go to. That's where this kind of stuff um, can become maybe a little more useful, a little more prevalent. Like this is kind of the bread and butter. Secrets, lies and misunderstandings are kind of the bread and butter of these really long, extensive, highly dramatic, you know, I mean, they call it a soap opera for a reason. It is operatic, Um, you know, kinds of stories and I don't want to be entirely dismissive of that because I think that there is a place for that. And technically, you know, if it fuels a conflict that is narrative and goal-based, then, you know, okay. Mm -hmm. I tend to very much um, hate uh, false conflict in the stories that I analyze. Um, I think that it is a cheap source of conflict. I am absolutely certain that there are geniuses out there who can use it really, really well and make it work. Um, I have not seen a lot of that illustrated um, but there are a lot of devices that I don't particularly like. VoiceOver is a device I don't like but I've seen people use it brilliantly um, The Fractured Tease is a device I don't care for. I've seen people use it brilliantly Breaking Bad is an example of brilliant use of the Fractured Tease which is uh, for those of you who don't know the Fractured Tease is when you take a part of a story uh, um, of a later part of the story and then you show just that and then you're like 36 hours earlier and you go to everything leading up to that mm-hmm. um, and it's a device I've always hated. Breaking Bad did it great. Um, so So there are there are always there are devices within storytelling that can be used well. False conflict is one of the ones that I am challenged to find examples of it actually serving a real narrative purpose.
0: Well, and that makes sense, because if the meaning of the story comes Mm -hmm. from the change in the story world and change is driven by the conflict that Mm -hmm. your protagonist and your antagonist experience. Yes. Then if if that conflict is, I thought that was your sister, well it's not, nothing in the world has changed then except the fact know. that we need to remember to have conversations.
1: So like it's just it falls apart. That's yeah. the thing. Your conflict has to be sturdy and false conflict is built on ground that is not sturdy, that can yeah. be easily undermined by an honest conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. So, okay, so we talked a little bit about this uh, in season one with characters when we were talking mm-hmm. about protagonist and antagonist, um, that it's helpful to remember that those are opposing forces, not necessarily or just good and evil, right? Protagonist right. is mm-hmm. not always your hero. Antagonist is not always your villain. You right. can have mm-hmm. a protagonist and an antagonist who are both terrible people. You can have a yes. protagonist and an antagonist who are both wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you... You have to think about them in some kind of opposition
1: right? Mm -hmm. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And you can have, uh, you know, you can have um, protagonists and antagonists who are any, any flavor, like you can have a protagonist who is a hero, good guy and an antagonist who is a bad guy villain. That is usually the way in which these things are presented. But once you understand that that is absolutely not necessary in order for your story to be like narratively legit and narratively tight, that opens up so many more opportunities for you to tell really interesting stories. Um, One of the things that I love, um, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, right, you know, from 2007, I believe that was, which was a Joss Whedon uh, musical thing done during the writer's strike of 2007, when uh, a lot of people didn't have a lot of work to do. So they made this. And in Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, we have ourselves a protagonist, right, who is uh, defined by, you know, um, that they have, um, they're actively in pursuit of a goal that's providing them the motive force for the story, that they are the um uh, character through whose um, perspective we are seeing this story. And they have the most at stake. They are the ones that are going to lose everything if they don't win at this particular thing. So those are the things that define um, our protagonist. Um, And the antagonist, of course, is defined by simply blocking the protagonist. Whatever it is that the protagonist is in active pursuit of, the antagonist blocks it. Once you realize that it is really that simple in order for the narrative needs of your story to be met, um, then you can build a conflict with anything, you can build a conflict with like Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog where Dr. Horrible, the villain, the bad guy, is actually our protagonist because he meets those three qualifications. We are seeing the story through his perspective. He has the most at stake um, and his his pursuit of a goal is providing that, that narrative um, um, spine for the structure of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the things that give us our protagonist, that tell us who our protagonist is, not whether or not they're good. Um, and that's one of the things that I love about, uh, 1993 the fugitive with uh, Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones, that the character Tommy Lee Jones played Sam Gerard was just a guy doing his job. He's just a federal marshal and he was going after somebody who had escaped from jail. The fact that, uh, that Richard Kimball was innocent of killing his wife is not his concern at all. That yeah. is not why he's there. Right. Um, So, that is a really, really fun kind of way to play with these opposing forces without kind of jumping to this idea that your protagonist must be perfect and wonderful and lovely in every way. Uh, practically perfect in every way, our classic Mary Sue kind of uh, character protagonist um, does not have to be that. Um, and they don't have to be also likable, which is something we also discussed in our discussion of character, that they just must be sympathetic. They just must have some vulnerability that we can connect with. Um, but, uh, but what's actually required of your protagonist and your antagonist is just that they be locked in conflict
0: yeah yeah they don't have to hate each other or want to kill they don't each have other to hate each other anything you don't have to
1: have like strife and war you can have different <laughs> kinds of <laughs> conflict you can just have people who are working towards opposing, opposing goals. goals exactly they could like each other very much they can be um a romantic couple although you know there's always difficulty when you're trying to tell a romance and you have the romantic couple in conflict. Um, I've talked about that a number of times with regards to You've Got male and His Girl Friday is to... Um, two examples of how to do that um, yeah. but uh, we'll talk about that when we talk about romantic conflict um, yeah. but so you, you really want to be careful about having your romantic leads in actual narrative conflict because that means one of them has to lose and we tend to hold a grudge um, but you can make that work you absolutely can make that work yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah like your characters the characters that are in conflict can love each other very much you can have a benevolent antagonist somebody who is blocking your protagonist because they love the protagonist and they believe they know better uh, mm-hmm. what's best for them. That can be really fun to play with. Uh, but once you realize this, once you accept that one doesn't have to be good and the other bad, um, there are so many different things that you can do. It kind of opens up the world for you and and what you're able to do while still maintaining a narrative that functions.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's really mm-hmm. great. So I'm curious, um, for the, the books that you've written, yes. did you invent an antagonist after you built your protagonist or did they come to you in tandem like Hmm. build a character figure out what they want and then create something to block them or did they did they kind of come to life as
1: a you know as a pair right Uh, that's interesting because when I first started writing I didn't know like, I didn't know any of this. I didn't mm-hmm. understand any of this. So I did everything kind of instinctively. And as a result, I think most of the um, antagonism within my my early stories uh, was internal, mm-hmm. right? A character who wants two opposing things and ends up creating a lot of their own problems, um, which can be really, really fun to write. It's, it's psychologically kind of uh, juicy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the... Uh, In the stories where I had an external conflict, um, you know, uh, I usually I usually built the antagonist from the start, but. I remember one uh one story I wrote called The Comeback Kiss where I didn't know who the bad guy was. It was a mystery. Mm-hmm. Like it was a mystery not just to the reader but to me. I didn't <laughs> know until and I, I was I had a friend of mine who's a um, writer CJ Barry who was uh was you know fr- we were very close and, and always talking whenever we were writing and uh who was with me while I was writing that book and sh- I made her so tense because she plants <laughs> everything out and knew everything and had everything in spreadsheets beforehand and she was like You're almost done and you don't know who your antagonist is. And I'm like, nope, I don't know who the murderer is, you know. Um, but in that case, like my protagonist also didn't know who the murderer was. So it was OK because I wasn't giving, you know, anything away and I wasn't playing games. I didn't know either. Um, yeah. And I found out when they found out. Um, so it's... Uh, <laughs> Can I say that for me, historically, have I always known? No. In my later books, um, I had clarity on that. In my mm-hmm. later books, I knew who the protagonists and the antagonists were going to be. And I knew what the goals were because I had learned that much. Um, but uh, but early on, I didn't know. I made it up as I went along. Um, yeah. That actually
0: makes me feel a lot better to hear Good. you say that. Because one year, um, when I did National Novel Writing Month, yeah. uh, I tried to write a mystery. And I got... Mm-hmm. I wanna say twenty five thousand words. Yeah. And I had no freaking idea nope. who the who the bad guy, who the killer was. I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know. And so I assumed mm-hmm. that I had done it all wrong. Oh and I and I stopped. But it oh. didn't occur to yeah. me then. Like what I understand now is sometimes you can write your way to an yes. understanding of the story. Like if that if that's how your your process works, that's how pantsers
1: do it. You know, you
0: don't know until you write it, and and you might end up with a huge, messy, all over the place Mm -hmm. first draft. But that's that's like literally your thinking on paper,
1: yeah. And you write your way to the story, and then you can go in and smooth it out and fix it. Like that's the thing. Like however your process works, and this is one of the things too that I think a lot of creative people struggle with is that you look at your process and you think my process is broken. I need to fix my process. Right. But you cannot because your process is part of you. It is your fingerprint. It is the way that you work. It also can change on you. I've had my process change from book to book to book. That happens too. Um, But the thing is, is that I think we need to be willing to look at our process without judgment, Mm -hmm. see what it is and work with it you know, um, and uh, embrace it. This is how I am. This is how I write. So how do I use the strengths of this particular approach, um, so that I can move through this, this book and get this Done. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you want to do, you have a certain process that you do. If you go in assuming that your process is broken, that you're broken, that it's not right, then you're working against yourself. Then yeah. you're taking twice as much energy to do everything because you're working against the natural way that you work. If you have a particular process, a particular way that you do things, way that your brain works, right? Work with it. Look at it decide what the strengths are, use those strengths to your advantage. It's going to give you so much more momentum. But the bottom line is at some point before this book gets published or is out there, you should have the answer to all these questions. When you get the answer to all these questions, be it at the beginning of the process, the end of the process, or somewhere in the middle, does not matter. Does not matter. Yeah. Because you have them all by the end. By the end, we're all in the same place. You know, Mm -hmm. by the end, no matter what your approach is, when you start, you will have all the answers to these questions. Um, The only difference is when during the process we get those answers. And at no point, like at any point on that spectrum, when you get those answers, it's not wrong. It's not bad. It's not broken. It's just the way that you work. Mm -hmm. So work with yourself. I mean, that is, I think, probably one of the most valuable things for writers to learn is uh, embrace your process. Work with who you are understand yourself um, and don't judge the way that you write as though you are doing something wrong. If you are writing, you are not doing something wrong. Yeah you know you're working toward it and you can there's nothing so broken in a story that you cannot go back and revision and fix it. And as somebody who's a pantser, I can tell you that from personal damn experience. Yes.
0: <laughs> no, I love that. All right. Well, this has been awesome. I'm so glad yeah, to have gotten so back into how story works again. Um, I love these discussions. It's so fun. I do, too. I do, too. Um, so the, the 30,000 foot recap mm-hmm. narrative conflict is a goal versus a goal. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in our next episode, what are you going to look at?
1: We're going to look at central narrative conflict. Right now we've just defined narrative conflict, mm-hmm. um, which can fuel a scene, which can fuel a whole book. Uh, narrative conflict is just in itself goal versus goal. But when we're talking about a longer story, a novel, a movie, um, you know, a video game, uh, you really want to think in terms of central narrative conflict, the kind of narrative conflict upon which you can build an entire structure. So we're mm-hmm. going to talk about that in a little more detail next time
0: that's going to be really fun um so sometimes we think about exercises or practice Mm -hmm. or homework um that'll help us and and listeners sort of process and apply everything that we've talked about do you have any ideas for conflict 101 homework
1: Yes. Uh, What you want to do is look at stories that you love, that you already know, that you're fairly familiar with, um, because you're going to want to analyze the different kinds of conflict that you see. Watch a movie that you love, that you know really, really well and identify the different kinds of conflict. Where are you seeing mundane conflict? How do you know it's mundane conflict? Where are you seeing false conflict? How do you know it's false conflict? And where are you seeing narrative conflict? And how do you know it's narrative conflict and these can be things. A narrative conflict can exist on a scene level. It can, um, you know, we can have a scene that opens with two people with opposing goals. And by the end of that scene, one of them is won, one of them is lost, and that particular conflict has been resolved. That's completely, you know, fine. The bigger narrative conflict, the central narrative conflict upon which the whole story is based, may be a different kind of narrative conflict. Uh, so you're going to have, within an average story, a number of different types of conflict kind of floating around. And if you take the practice of taking a look at them, you know, what's happening in a scene, what's happening in a beat within a scene, what kind of conflict is this? Um, And again, the test for false conflict is can an honest conversation completely eradicate this conflict? Mm -hmm. That is yes, then you've got a false conflict. Um, Is this conflict based on just two people having a conversation and arguing about something, but there's no goals involved? That's your mundane conflict. And again, not necessarily bad. Mundane conflict can be really fun in dealing with characters and having uh, giving momentum to a scene. Um, it can be really fun. It can be funny. It can be romantic. That's fine. But just understand that's not the conflict upon which the story is based. Um, and then you've got regular narrative conflict and then uh, central narrative conflict. Of course, we're going to talk about central um, in much more detail next time. Uh, but the central narrative conflict is, again, the narrative conflict upon which the entire structure is based for the story. Okay so take a look and identify yeah Yeah, Mm -hmm. i'm gonna
0: do that homework too Mm -hmm. um i think this is gonna be really helpful Mm so i've been i've been trying to do some of this as i've been watching Mm -hmm. because oh my god quarantine like that i mean Mm -hmm. i've watched more movies and television in the last nine months than i've watched in Mm -hmm. the last nine years crazy (laughs) Uh, so that'll be that'll be really really good homework Mm -hmm. Um, and speaking of watching all the things we do love what you love what stories are you loving right now
1: Oh, gosh. You know, um, I've been watching a lot of things. I recently watched a uh, German TV show called Dark. Um, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really really interesting Um, and I enjoyed that a lot of the was uh, unsurprisingly very dark and difficult for me to uh, to watch I watched it with my boyfriend um, over zoom and he would let me know when things uh, things were getting bad when there was going to be something on the screen that I wasn't going to like and he would tell me to look away and then he would read to me it was so sweet he would read to me like the subtitles because it was German so so I couldn't listen to it and understand so then he would read to me the subtitles and be like look away look away, look away. All right. You can look now. And then I'd look and be able to watch. It was really incredibly sweet. Um, But it was an interesting, I mean, it was one of those stories that Um, that after you watch it, you're still thinking about it for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, It's incredibly complex and really interesting. And I love the fact that Netflix, you know, Netflix, which we have seen as a very like kind of American media um, sort of conglomerate is actually um, commissioning um, from other countries, these kinds of stories, these kinds of this kind of media. I love the fact that we are getting cultural uh, differences. Uh, One of the things I loved about dark the most, and that affected me the most Mm -hmm. is that the women didn't they they were not by any means like, you know, larger or even the average American size, but they were larger than your standard kind of woman that we see in American media. Um, they also didn't have perfect hair and makeup all the time. They had wrinkles and they were <gasps> still relevant And not invisible, uh, where their their only character trait wasn't mom or grandma. They actually were active people within. They were wrinkled, unmade up, normal sized women who were still allowed to be active in the narrative and have uh, roles that they played, um, wants and desires and things that they did. It was shocking Not just, I mean, that it was shocking, was shocking. That was such a wake up call for me, having consumed in my life, predominantly American and Western media. Um, Not that Germany isn't Western. I mean, it is, but it's not the American form of that, you know, Um, and to have uh, women who were uh, equal parts of the narrative to the men. Um, and allowed, like men are in American media, to have wrinkles and be older and still be relevant. Um, it was astounding. So for that alone, I would recommend that anybody watch it. Um, but it is also really interesting and and uh, quite the puzzle. Um, on top of that, so oh, yeah. yeah,
0: that sounds fascinating. And I would love yeah. to see. I would just love to see women yeah. on camera like
1: that. That would be great. Okay, uh, it was. It was crazy how powerful that was um and how out of a, a story that is fascinating on a million different levels but that was the most powerful part of that experience for me Very that cool. was crazy so what have you been engaging with
0: i fell head over heels in love with the queen's gambit on mm-hmm. netflix yes holy holy smokes like i don't i don't rewatch things immediately like mm-hmm. buffy firefly angel sherlock right. mm-hmm. Yes, I will watch those mm-hmm. over and over again. The West Wing, I can practically recite. Yeah. But right. normally, like, I watch a show, it's great. I'm mm-hmm. done. I move on. I watched The, the Queen's Gambit, and then yes. I went and read everything I could find about it. And then yeah. I wanted to read analysis and reaction. And then I went and watched every single episode again, immediately wow, back to back I after watching that. it. That never yeah. happens to me. I am so fascinated with this show. Um, it it is smart. It is mm-hmm. um it feels like a fantasy in a space that has nothing to do with fantasy. Right. But it mm-hmm. it speaks to me of like I wish parts of the world worked like this and I appreciated yeah. seeing it mm-hmm. in a story. Yeah. Um and I love what it says about um community uh-huh. and um and 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 talent and mm-hmm. and healing and trauma and the way that you can grow as a person I don't know I haven't even begun to unpack all the things yeah. that I love about it mm-hmm. I loved it to crazy town um and I loved it so much. I made you watch it. You and did. And we're going to talk about it as an exclusive for our patrons. So go to patreon.com chipperish to get access to that little bit of fun because yes. that's going to be that's going to be a blast.
1: It really is. It's going to be a good time. We are going to be recording of our response to the Queen's Gambit um, a little bit after this episode drops. So you can look for that on patreon.com. Um, if you are listening to this on December 2nd, you're going to wait a few days. If if it's any time after that it's probably already up so go to patreon.com slash kick in a dollar a month two dollars a month you know whatever you can afford Um, it helps us create this content for everybody for free and it helps us create the exclusive content like our response to the queen's gambit so please head on over to patreon.com slash right now because it's a good thing it's a good deed Alright, to join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Rich and Kelly at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag HowStoryWorks. You can also follow all our shows and news through at Chipperish on Twitter. How Story Works and everything Chipperish Media does is made free to all by our generous patrons. If you're getting value out of this discussion, we ask that you help us out by kicking a dollar or two a month our way so we can keep buying all the thesauruses in the world and put them on Kelly's bookshelf.
0: Aww! Thank yeah. you so much! <laughs> this (laughs) This This episode of How Story Works is brought to you by the Chipperish Media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why How Story Works is coming to you free and ad free right now. So thank you to our December producers, Shelly, Kristen, Jonathan, Jonathan, Rose, Erica, Alice, Abigail, and Sarah. And this week's special message for our power producers, your process is not broken. Work with
1: it, not against it we will be back next time with our discussion of the mother of all narrative conflicts the central narrative conflict until then kelly i saw you with your arm around that woman that's why i burned down your house lonnie that was my sister oh sorry i saved your thesaurus